Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. Good evening. Welcome to episode 000018 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. I'll be your host through to eight this Tuesday evening. I'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional owners from which I am broadcasting, whose land I am on as we speak, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, um, first of all, I've got to apologise for the uh, the voice. I'm a little bit under the weather, but um, I'm okay. I've got the voice of someone that should be doing a, uh, a graveyard shift, whispering into the microphone in the wee wee hours, but we'll get through. So um, this is the mission, and um, we like to keep it real. So on the show tonight, we'll be talking to two guests that will yarn with us about two very real subjects. Shortly, I'll be joined, hopefully, in studio by the acting CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community-Controlled Health Organisation, Trevor Pearce. We'll talk to Trevor about the repeal of the public drunkenness laws in Victoria and how they were as necessary from a health perspective as they were from a justice viewpoint. And at the moment, of course, we must never forget that the Day family's role in bringing about the repeal of those laws. For the last couple of weeks, Tanya Day's family and friends have been sitting through what must be a harrowing coronial inquest into her death in police custody. The inquest is also looking into the role systemic racism may have had in um, Tanya's tragic passing. The proceedings still have a little way to go, so we'll have someone on the show in the coming weeks to take us through all that in far greater detail. But uh, back to Trevor, I'll be speaking to him about the overall health of Aboriginal Victorians as well and also the sector that Vache represents. So hopefully that will be illuminating for you and me. And in the second half of the show, I'll be speaking with Tina Ray, Program Director at the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. It's uh, Indigenous Literacy Day tomorrow, so we'll speak to Tina about that and the work of the foundation. The foundation does tremendous work, I know for a fact, right across the country, so I look forward to hearing about that and more. And if you want to interact with me during the show, the best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. My handle is at MrDTJames. Independent Melbourne Radio 3RRR. Now, I'm Jack Charles. Please subscribe to the RRR Radiothon. <laughs> Do what you're told, everyone. Um, actually, Uncle Jack will be in next week to talk about his book and all sorts of things. He's no stranger to... Triple R, of course. Speaking of Triple R, you're listening to it on 102.7 FM. It is 11 past 7 this Tuesday night, and my first guest is sitting right in front of me. Trevor is a Gamelaroy man from northwestern New South Wales with strong ties to both the Aboriginal... Oh, sorry, with strong ties to both the New South Wales and Victorian Aboriginal communities. Trevor comes from a strong Aboriginal family that has always contributed to the development and strengthening of Aboriginal community in southeastern Australia. 
Uh, as far back as 1988, Trevor moved to uh, Victoria to study at Monash University and has since married into the Victorian Aboriginal community. He has over 30 years of experience working for and within the Aboriginal community at lo- local, state and national levels. His various roles have required high level of responsibility for the so- social and cultural well-being of the Aboriginal community. He is currently the acting CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. Trevor, welcome to Triple R. Thank you, Daniel. What was um, the rep- why was the repeal of the public drunkenness laws a health issue as well as a justice issue? Uh, the thirty years ago, there was a there was a young fellow that was um, detained by police and um, off duty. In, in the Pilbara of Western Western Australia, beaten to death, um, and the police claimed that uh, he hung himself, um, and that sparked the Royal Commission into deaths in custody, as we we know it, thirty years ago. Yep. Uh, out of that, three hundred plus recommendations um, that um, require government to act. Um, and one of them was the, the decriminalisation of public drunkenness. That yeah. It is a health issue. It's not a criminal issue. Um, and by and large, it's targeted Aboriginal people. Mm. Um, so Victoria is one of the last states to um, repeal this. Queensland still hasn't done it. Um, and we hope that they will move towards that. Um, so it's about... You know, treating people when they're perhaps vulnerable. Yeah. You know, we often we've, at the most vulnerable. Often at the most vulnerable, uh, and and caring for them, and looking at ways of caring for them rather than locking them up and giving them a criminal charge. Mm. Um, so it's it's critical from from a, from a health point of view. If people aren't safe, they die. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And, and unfortunately, in this state, we, we've experienced that very recently. Um, and, um, and that is heart-wrenching for, for community and for the, particularly the family concern. So it's about putting an end to that. Yeah. It's uh, actually harrowing watching the news at the moment. Mm. You know, the, uh, the reporting on the inquest is, um, is horrific. And I just commend, as, as you would, Trevor, the... the the Day family for being as brave and strong as, as they are in the face of what's going on. Seeing that CCT footage of their mother must be... Well, I can't even imagine how difficult that would be. Yeah, yeah. But without, arguably without the Day family, we wouldn't be where we are today with this particular yeah. repeal. And you think of how many councillors' lives that we perhaps lost along the way. Yeah. Um, and that's the other, the other issue as well. So we, as, as the... The peak body for Indigenous Health in the state of Victoria lobbied uh, quite um, heavily with with um, government ministers, and certainly the, the Attorney General and um, the Minister for uh, Aboriginal Victoria as well to to really look at this and uh, turn this around as soon as possible. You you said in um, the press release you released last week, yeah. um, you said this is an outdated law that is unnecessarily unnecessarily punitive and racist in yeah. nature. Yeah. I guess you're you're referring to the the, the amount of racial profiling that goes on yeah. still within the Victorian I mean, community. As Victorians, we we see at the end of the Melbourne Cup each year people stumbling around in the car park. Yep. Uh, some people are addressed, you know, arrested as a result of that. Um, but by and large, a lot of people are told just to go home. Yep. 
You know, we see that at the end of the AFL games as well. Um, and we see that at schoolies week. Yeah. You know, um, so as, as community, we, we often see this as, as a way of, of targeting us as, as community, a bit of racial profiling. Mm. Um, but at the same time, we need the Victorian police on board. We need the Victorian police to, to be working with us uh, to work out uh, ways to, to, to move forward on this. Um, the state government has set up a, um, a working group um, and we're involved in that um, and we will be working tirelessly between now and the end of the year to put in place the, the, the correct legislation and the correct alternatives that need to happen. Exactly, yeah. You know, so what what do we need to do in hospitals, in, in the emergency departments, where a lot of community members turn up? Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, it's one thing repealing the law, but it's another thing establishing the infrastructure that will need to be established in a lot of instances to actually... Some, in some some cases, house people yep. that are that have had too much to drink. What, yep. what, what sort of things need to be done? Uh, I, I, I don't know the, all the ins and outs of it. But, you know, everything's on the table for discussion at this stage. From, you know, let's ring let's ring mum and dad, or let's ring let's ring a family member and see if we can, you know, transport that person yeah. to 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 place where they're safe. Um, you know, if they're if they're in hospital, how do we you know, perhaps? Humanely restrain them, yep. you know, and and to hold them there and to to look after them and to make sure that they come down. Um, some states have sobering up centres, yeah, where where people can go uh, to sober up. I've noticed that that's a that's a big thing overseas, you know, mm. particularly in uh, countries like Japan, that where you know alcoholism yep. is a, is a serious problem. They mm. did, they have a series of sobering up centres in in their major cities mm. and centres. And we used to have that quite a lot here in, in Australia as well. I'm not mm-hmm. too sure what other states are doing. It's one of the things that we will be looking at as well as what is happening around the country that, to those states that have decriminalised it, and what has worked for them and what hasn't worked and what are the lessons learnt from that. So it is the infrastructure that goes with that. It's the process and the protocols. It's the legislation. So it's not uh, an easy flick of the switch. No. You know. Um, but work needs to start on that now. If we're going to repeal these laws and um, coppers aren't going to be taking people into police cells anymore, yep. Yep. we've got to ensure that they aren't left on the street to their own devices right. as well. It should be the last alternative if they go to a police cell. Yeah. And if they go to the police cell, the police need to do their job. They have a duty of care of, what, of who they put into their cells for their health and well-being as well. Um, and to, you know, rather than just glance through the glasses every now and then for a few seconds. As we've seen. As we've seen, you know, actually check on people. Yeah. Uh, particularly if people are falling over and have hit the head, etc. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the point you made earlier on, if you go out on a Friday or Saturday night, or if you go to the football on a Friday night, the coppers could, you know, under these laws, could lock up 30,000 people yeah, in any, exactly. given, any given home and away game. Um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the ACHO sector. Right. So the Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation sector mm-hmm. is the sector that VACHO represents. Yeah. But you also, you're not just a representative body, you, you lobby on behalf of yep. a, a whole range of issues, yep. whether they're member issues or not. There's been a fair bit of pressure in recent years, particularly at the federal funding level on the sector around mm. closing the gap and, you know, the federal government taking an approach that 
okay, just because you're an Aboriginal health organisation doesn't mean that you get this tenure, tenor, I'm um, sorry, this, you know, what of money to implement programs for, mm. for Aboriginal people. And that's put a strain on the sector. How's the sector travelling at the moment? Um, it's interesting times. It's very interesting times. Um, something needs to be done. You know, we, we've had the, the, the terminology of close the gap for so long. Whether the narrative needs to change around that, whether a new approach what's your needs sense? to be... What's your sense around well, that? I think well, as Aboriginal people, we often think, are we, you know, is it just another measurement of how inadequate we are when you say we've got to close the gap? Mm. Uh, and it's a bit of a defeatist sort of a, approach. You know, it needs to be strength-based. It needs to be from how do we... You know, why have we got to address chronic disease, and that's critical... What governments need to do in this country is spend more money on early intervention stuff, spend more money on, um, you know, getting our kids through school, yeah. um, making sure that they get the good start in, in life that they need to get in life, um, you know, addressing, you know, breaking that cycle of, of poverty is critical and it's not just a health issue where you can take a tablet mm. and it's going to go away. It's, it's a whole, you know, we have a what we call a holistic view of health. Yes. You know, it's not just the absence of disease. It is the social and emotional and economical uh, well-being of the individual, you know, to have a house. Victoria has the highest homeless rate mm. in the country when it comes to its Aboriginal community. And one of the longest um, housing waiting lists, public longest, housing. Yeah, well, you know, we, we are steadily seeing this rise over the last five years. Um, 15 to 18% of our community can be homeless. And that could be surfing the couch through to, you know, um, overcrowding. Yeah. Um, a house gives you so much. It gives you an economic base. It gives you a place to be able to, you know, get your kids to school, to, to feed yourself, to educate yourself, to hold down a job. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's a basic fundamental human right is shelter. Um, they're, they're the issues that we want, want government to also consider. Um, you know, in Victoria, we, we don't have some of the, the health um, uh, conditions that are a priority for a remote community, such as rheumatic heart disease. And, and they're, they're often seen as big-ticket items, aren't they? They're big-ticket items, you know, trachoma and blindness, and, and, and they're, they're really remote uh, community issues. Um, the interesting thing about when we look at chronic disease in the Aboriginal community, you know, we live in one of the richest states in the country. Yep. Um, and we have infrastructure and hospitals and doctors coming out of our ears. World-class. World-class. We have a world-class economy. Um, but Aboriginal people in the state of Victoria experience the same um, disparities in health conditions as a remote community. Yeah. You know, so a lot of – you've got to look at it from a different angle and think, well, what is going wrong here? How can we address this? Is it about access? Um, you know, we are four to five times more likely to walk out of hospital against medical advice. Yeah. It's not because our hospital liaison officers aren't doing their jobs. No, they do a fantastic they job. They do a fantastic job. Is They're under-resourced and underpaid. Yeah. You know. Often, the, often the, the, the lowest, you know, rank in the chain. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, and I've worked a bit in the sector, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of Aboriginal people, I think just live with the idea and get used to the idea of just being sick. Yes. And they live with that. And that's a norm. Yep. And that's 
one of the major challenges is to break that norm, set yep. a new norm. Yep. And that's what you're talking about with the holistic approach. It's you know, the narrative is you know we're healthy is the normal. Yeah. You know, and when we continue to talk about closing a gap, we're always talking about the the, the difference between us. Well, we want to get to a point where our, our young fellas um, see that uh, you know health, being healthy and, and um, being well is part of of being normal. Um, but they see a lot of sickness around them all it's, the time. It sounds absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it, when you yep. just talk about it like this? But it is is—it is a fact. Yep. yep. You've got whole communities, whole families within communities that are just used to being sick and having a whole range of health conditions that are enormous. And therefore, as a result of that, they're less likely to seek attention and they're more likely to leave hospital against medical advice yep. because they just live with it. And it's interesting, but we have some positives in there as well. So we're certainly um, um, the age difference is, is 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 not dramatically changing, but our, our, we have elders that are living longer. Yeah, you know because they have access to good health care uh, and, and better medicines and better nutrition. So it's you know we still have a, a shorter life expectancy, but we are seeing elders in the communities in their eighties and nineties. Yeah, which is good. Um, we outstrip the non-Aboriginal community when it comes to immunisation. We're at ninety-five percent, and and that's you your know, sector is yep, is, is real, pivotal. We're we're right on top of that. Our kids are starting to finish VCE at high levels, which is good. So we're in that catch-up mode. Yeah. Um. In in many ways, so we we still have a younger population. You know, um, at least thirty. Or forty percent of our community can be under the age of twenty-five, which is quite high. Yep. Um, so it's about you know how do we we build a nation uh, is is critical and what what the future look like for for Aboriginal people. But at the same time, repealing you know um, laws such as public drunkenness not only affects us, it affects the whole community. Yeah. You know, so it's about taking the whole community on that journey with us. It is 26 past seven here on a Tuesday evening. My name is Daniel. You're listening to The Mission. I am yarning with Trevor Pearce, the acting CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation. If you had a magic wand and that there was one priority issue that you could choose to fix overnight mm. here in this state of Victoria, what would you choose to fix? Um, I would certainly say housing. Mm-hmm. I think that that is 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 critical. I mean, there's there's so much. I think if you um, if you address that and people aren't financially stressed or you know um, have a place to, to live um, and you know raise their families, we wouldn't see kids in out of home care as much as we do. Mm. You know, um, we would see um, you know. We're seeing it slowly. We're seeing a growth in doctors and lawyers. Um, Certainly, yeah. You know, in in community, which is good. Yep. You know, we've, you know, I think about my young fellows. We've 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 given them a better lifestyle than what we had. Sure. My parents did that for me, and their parents did that for them. It's a generational thing. Yep. Um, it to wave the magic wand. I'd say the biggest issue would be housing, because housing is. Probably the first step in breaking that cycle of disadvantage. Yep. Having having a home to, to care and look after for and be responsible for and to retreat to yep. and to raise a family with um, goes 
a long way to, to, to breaking yes. that cycle. Hmm. Um, you also do a whole bunch of programs that you actually run out of Atchow as well. And last yeah. week, you ran a, a, a men's health program yeah. down in Melbourne. Would, want to tell us about that a little bit? So every year, uh, we, we're, we're affiliates with the, the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Sector, NATCHO. Yep. So we have the uh, White Ochre Conference. Thanks for pronouncing so, that correctly yep. for so me. So we, we bring Aboriginal men from around the country. Yeah. And they talk about the importance of, of what is important for Aboriginal men. Um, you know, there's how do we build confidence? How do we build culture? Uh, how do we maintain culture? You know, we, we get challenged with either assimilate or regenerate, mm. you know, um, and certainly in an urban environment, um, you know, we can be a hidden community. Yeah. You know, um, we can, our kids can go to school and they're the only Aboriginal kids in those, those schools, certainly in an urban environment. In rural towns, you know, there's, there's still this sort of bit of cultural isolation and racism that happens in, in, in rural um, to Victoria as well. Yeah, that's, and, that, and that affects your health. It does. I think you know. one of the main things has been our challenge as a, as a southern state and a state where... Percentage-wise, we have a large population, but percentage-wise, we make up you know a, a fraction amount of the overall population. Yeah. One of the difficult things trying to get through to policy makers and decision makers is to actually say, no, actually, we have a significant Aboriginal population mm. here. And it, you may not see it every day, but it does exist. And that cultural isolation that occurs yeah. in centres and, and particularly urban areas, in my view, is just as... Yep impactful as as being you know geographically remote yeah. we, we know it, it currently our population is around 50,000 edging towards 60,000 that's nearly doubled in 20 years we've done recently done some some research as community uh, here in Victoria and by the year 2028 that'll be 88,000 yeah you know so and um so what what do we need to do now to prepare for that and and to, and to build and strengthen community and strengthen culture um, is critical. And the man's role, of course, and the, and the is role pivotal. of men. Yeah. So, you know, there's a there's a the the fellows up at uh, Bendigo have a men's shed program, and you know they're talking about we would like to establish a national network of Aboriginal men's shed. Mm. You know to to be supportive to, to one another and to share what, what we're, we're doing. We have people like Ernie Dingo who um, talked about going on to country uh, and taking kids on to country and reintroducing them to country. Um, so he's got a, a very good program that he runs in, in the Kimberley. Um, uh, there's a, an Aboriginal person who can talk about, through physical activity and, and programs, how to reverse diabetes yeah. in community. Yeah. You know, um, so it's about men getting together and, and looking at um, you know, their health. You know, we die younger. Um, so if we die younger, we need to be starting to address quite a few things at a much earlier age. And just before I let you go, one of the success stories over a long period of time has actually been the Koori Maternity Services. Mm-hmm. How how are we tracking with birth weights at the moment? They're 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 increasing. You know, our, this is where we know the immunisation rates are just you know at, at higher levels because because of the Koori Maternity Health Services that we provide and support across the state. Um, Means that our our, our career mothers are better engaged within within that process, and um, 
um, a support is given to them. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Um, thanks so much for your time, Trevor. Um, we'll have to get you back in. There's no so many issues we can talk about. Yep. Um, the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation sector is a sector that was established by Aboriginal people. It is run by Aboriginal people, employs Aboriginal people. Yep. It provides more than just health services to the vast majority of Aboriginal people. So if you ever see a, an acho in, in a country town like Rumbalara and Shepparton or up in Swan Hill, that's what they do and that's where... People, and that's where actually, you know, culture is retained in a lot of yeah, ways. Look, in some of our echoes in, in rural country towns, you know, service are not Aboriginal community. Absolutely. And they get a great service. You know, we know, we think about out at Goolam Goolam, out at Horsham, you know, um, and even Rumbalara up at Shepparton, you know. So, um, you know, they're, they're rightful leaders in the community. Yeah. In, in the area of health. Excellent way to put it. Trevor Pierce, thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thank you, Dan. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. It is Tuesday evening. You're listening to The Mission with Daniel James. Thank you very much to Trevor Pearce for coming in and having a yarn with us about all things Aboriginal health and the public drunkenness laws. Indigenous Literacy Day is tomorrow, the uh, 4th of September. If you want to go and find out some more about that particular day and about the foundation itself, the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, you can go along to indigenousliteracyfoundation.org.au. In short, they, um, they do a wonderful job reaching out to... I think it's over 280 communities across the country and a lot of those are remote communities where language is English is actually a second and in some cases a tertiary tertiary language for a lot of the mob out there. So it's really important that there are services and that uh, young kids are exposed to you know, English, because unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, it is the language that we all really need to be able to navigate society. And the Indigenous Literacy Foundation do a fantastic job of that. Um, As I mentioned earlier, uh, tomorrow is Indigenous Literacy Day. And it's a celebration of Indigenous culture, stories, language and literacy. And to tell us about Indigenous Literacy Day and the Indigenous Literacy Foundation is Tina Ray. Tina belongs to the Badi Jabir Jabir people north of Broome and the Arabuna people near Aiklair. She has worked in both urban and remote communities in the Northern Territory. Most recently, well, relatively recently, she worked in the TV, TV Islands and in 2013, she started her work with the foundation where she is currently program director. Tina, welcome to Triple R and welcome to the mission. Oh, thanks for having me. No, no sweat. Um, first of all, could you just tell us um, a bit about the uh, the foundation itself? Sure. We're, we're a national uh, book industry charity. Um, we really came out of the sort of book uh, publishing, book selling kind of space. Our founder is Susie Wilson. She uh, is a bookstore owner, but also an educator. And she heard about um, the need for books in remote areas across Australia. So it started off as just a committee that was fundraising to get books into community. And then it became um, a lot bigger than that, partnered with Fred Hollow's foundation, and then got even bigger and so became an independent foundation about 10 years ago. 
So now we have three major programs. Um, one of them is about providing um, and gifting books into remote communities right across Australia. This year alone, we have 92,000 books that are all brand new, um, available uh, to gift into community, and we've gifted already about 70,000 of those. We have an early literacy program, which is about encouraging uh, families, um, mothers and grandmothers to feel confident to read to their babies and toddlers. And then we have a book publishing um, project, which is all about um, publishing stories by community for community in the languages that they want the books to be um, represented in. So you've got a bit going on then, basically. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got, you've got a whole bunch of ambassadors that are basically the who's who, not only of you know, the literary world, but of uh, Australian public life. Yeah, absolutely. We have people like Richard Flanagan, um, who's come on board. We have Alison Lester and Anne James, Anita Heiss, uh, Greg Drees, who are all, you know, really well known in the, in the book um, industry space. And then we have people like Jessica Malboy and Justine Clark and Josh Pike, who are, you know, the performers um, out there and you know, they're really great to have ambassadors like this that can spread our message, but also work with us in, you know, supporting communities to produce great quality books as well. Well, at, at this point, I could accuse you of being a chronic name dropper, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you work in 280 communities, both um, remote and non-remote. Well, what sort of programs do you deliver to those communities? Yeah, so we're more about, um, we're not so much about teaching kids how to read books. We're more about engaging kids in reading or just picking up books by providing really great quality books and reading material. So our book supply program, um, we search through books um, from about 40 to 50 different publishers and suppliers in the aim of selecting books that kids will want to pick up and read because you can't learn to read if you don't have books unless you don't have the right kinds of books. So we really um, have a rigorous selection process around what books we provide. But then we also engage kids in illustrating workshops and writing workshops. So not only kids, um, adults in communities, elders in communities, um, to empower them to write and tell their own stories because, you know, our culture is built on oral histories and stories and we're just bringing that into the publishing space and by providing books that are uh, in community home languages, whether it's a, a more of a traditional language or whether if it's, if it's a new language like a Creole, um, that doesn't matter. If that's the language they speak in home, it's, it's you know quite rewarding and empowering to have a book that you can read in the language that you speak. Yeah, that's, that's, that must be very, very, very powerful. Um, yeah. Your busiest day of the year, obviously, is probably, I'm guessing, um, Indigenous Literacy Day. Yeah, it's pretty big. We're, um, you know, a little bit exhausted already, but we're <laughs> pumped at the same time. We have 13 kids who are here from Arnhem Land who are ready to go and, and present their book to Australia. Um, they'll be reading that at the Sydney Opera House in front of about 400 people, uh, which is more people than in their home communities. Um, wow. And they'll be reading and sharing um, both the... Yongamata edition of the book as well as the English edition um, and they've been practicing and practicing and they're really uh, excited about um, you know reading that in front of the audience tomorrow. That's at the um, Sydney Opera House yeah? 
Yes. Wow. In the Opera House. Not many people can say they can read their book in their first language in that just in the Opera House. So not only are you dropping names, you're also dropping locations now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, if people want to get involved and support the foundation and, and get involved tomorrow, what, what can they do? Oh, look, you know, if there's businesses out there or organisations that want to get behind us, we have a, um, a fundraising event called the Great Book Swap. Um, you know, it's all about, you know, spreading and sharing uh, your love of reading by, you know, organising a day and bringing along a pre-loved book and swapping that for a gold coin donation, which then goes into our program to help us to continue to do what we do. Um, you know, and it's all about just advocacy. You know, go out there and, you know, read books by Indigenous authors or, you know, have a look at what books are, uh, are out there with Indigenous languages in them. Our books are available online, you know, you can donate online um, at our website. Um, yeah, just really, you know, our, our country has such a rich and diverse uh, history and languages and culture and, you know, it's a great day to just embrace that. And we're just becoming increasingly spoiled for choice with the amount of absolute quality Indigenous writers around at the moment. Um, you walk into any bookstore in Melbourne at the moment and, you know, the the amount of Indigenous writers that are actually have their books out about on the shelves and, you know, are, are producing quality work is it's just phenomenal at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's no real excuse for people to, um, you know, not get behind that because, yeah, th there is so much choice out there. There's books for little kids right through to books for, for adults, there's, you know, and everything in between. Um, yeah. Which is good for me. Great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Tina Ray, thank you so much for your time. Good luck tomorrow. Don't wear yourself out. And um, if people want to find out more about the foundation, they can go to the website. Yeah, absolutely, ilf.org.au. Oh, that's, a, that's less than um, a mouth to mouthful I read out before. Thank you so much for your time, <laughs> Tina. I appreciate it. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.